It's a little bit funny This feeling inside Hello everyone, welcome to Reservations. Uh, I'm Rain Whalen. And I am not. And I'm and I'm Jeremy Blair. Oh my God! Sorry. Great way, great way to start this. Um, so today on reservations, uh, we're going to be talking about a subject um, with uh, with the coming of a new movie, uh, Rocket Man. Uh, talking about biopics, but he doesn't anyone doesn't know that term, which you'd be surprised. I said that today. I was like, yeah, you know, we're gonna we're gonna talk about biopics, and someone was just like, what's uh, what's what's that? Oh. So biopics, if anyone doesn't know, which you should, is biography. It's a biographical movies. film. Yeah. Right. Um, we're going to be discussing the um, licensing, uh, well, not really the licensing, uh, the, uh, the, the privileges, I guess, that most filmmakers take to make the story work for them. Uh, talking about, we're going to talk about why um, us as audiences, why we're so intrigued by a person's life or a historical event in particular um so we're just gonna jump jump right into it then sweet (laughs) um would you say jeremy that um biopics are do you think they kind of have like this stigma or yeah so i said that right stigma I mean, sure. you you pronounced the word correctly. Whether or not it's going to be correctly <laughs> used in the sentence, we'll find out. Uh, of, well, of being dramatic films, like usually most biopics are very dramatic films. Oh, so uh, like a yes, and well, I, know what, you, I know what you're trying to say. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yes, most biopics, biographical films are in are a subgenre of dramas, right, right? or epics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so like we could take um, D.W. Griffith's 1915 film, Birth of a Nation, okay, um, which is technically a biography about this time and place um, of the rise of the Ku Klux Klan. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I know. Um, but it's an epic, right? It's not really a drama, mm-hmm. but it is this giant epic movie that is over three hours long. It's almost four hours. Uh, really? Yeah. And... But then you have something like A Beautiful Mind. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm jumping a few decades, but <laughs> A Beautiful Mind, which is a biographical film of John Nash, and it is a drama. Right. right? You can get ones that are comedies. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say um, I, I didn't want to count it <laughs> um, because it's not really depicting one person's life. It's really just a collection of a group of people, which is the big short. Right. It, it does have dramatic elements in it. It is a, a movie with a hard hitting message saying, guys, we really, we really messed up. These guys, these bankers really fucked us, <laughs> you know, um, uh-huh. but the majority of it is comical. Right. Um, I don't know if you've seen The Big Show, but it's fantastic. I really want to because yeah, uh, just because of the cast: Brad Pitt, Steve Carell, Christian Bale. Yeah. Um, am I missing anyone? You're missing a lot of people. Yeah, but that's okay. Uh, well, I mean, it's a big cast. Yeah. Right. So it's an ensemble. Right. right. So why would you say? 
us as audiences, why we're so intrigued by an event in history or a person's life, why why we really want to see what happened, you know? I think it's it's a sort of, you know, respect or admiration or disbelief in something that had happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I was doing my research, I'll, like a lot of the really, really early stuff. So we're talking late 1800s, early 1900s. Mm-hmm. A lot of the biopics were of Joan of Arc. OK. Um, my favorite out of the ones that I looked up was The Passion of Joan of Arc in 1928. Um, it's on the Criterion Collection. Shout out to Criterion. Um, it's it's a great movie. You, um, it's a silent film. Okay. You get the option to watch it with music or without. So you can watch it in dead silence, hmm. which is crazy. It's nuts. I haven't tried it yet, but we'll see. Anyway, it's, it's. I mean, if you don't know the story, it's about this, this uh, woman who led this army who was very passionate about her uh, love of Christ and her, you know, willingness to spread the message and or die trying she mm-hmm. ends up going on trial and uh, gets put to death she gets burned at the stake she does she? yeah and the passion of Joan of Arc is the trial and it is taken from the transcripts from the original trial okay it's phenomenal but anyway it is sort of uh, this you know unbelievable story of this woman mm-hmm. you know and I think people were really interested in that Okay. So it's in later, um, we have, you know, a lot of movies that like in the, in the seventies, in the eighties, talk about the Watergate scandal, right? Right. It's such an unbelievable story. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the uh, obviously the most well-known would be all the president's men focusing on Woodward and Bernstein cracking this, this story wide open. OK. Right? And, you know, finding the story, piecing it together and however unbelievable it might sound, it actually happened. And here we go. Right. And so I think people are just really interested, like myself, in just unbelievable stories. That right. Are true. Yeah, I mean, and and you know, and I'm I love history, you know, and so I, for me, why I always kind of gravitate towards biopics, is just because <clears throat> I really want to know what happened. Okay. During that time, yeah. you know, that's my big thing is I, I I really want to know what happened, which is you know one of the things we're going to talk about, whether it be true or not necessarily manufactured for the movie, but altered for the movie. Yeah. Still, you know, we. Um, we get like some semblance. So like, for example, one of the recent biopics I've seen, which uh, I realized I completely forgot, um, shockingly evil, extremely wicked and vile. Yeah. I saw I it. think I just flipped that entire title. Probably. It's a long title. I, um, I saw it as well mm-hmm. on, on Netflix. It's the, um, Oh man, I was about to say Jeffrey Dahmer. That's not right. <laughs> Ted Bundy. Sorry, thank you. <laughs> that would have been a really different movie. Yeah. Um, the Ted Bundy movie uh, with Zac Efron and Lily Collins. I I thought I was really stoked about it because I love serial killer stuff. <laughs> we talked about that in the horror film episode. Yeah. I'm yeah. a huge fan of serial. Yeah. And so I was so down. I was like, yes, finally, let's do it. You Hell, didn't have a problem with a former Disney star playing a serial killer? No. Who cares? You know? <laughs> He's older now. So... I, and I was disappointed because 
there was no murders. <laughs> it was just about, you know. Um, well, and see, and um, not to cut you off, but right, that, no, that was one of the things I liked about it. Well, no, it, and yeah, I, I do appreciate it. It's just mm, not what I was expecting. Right. You uh, yeah, you were expecting that we were going to see his kind of For sure. follow. Yeah, I mean... Uh, I went into thinking that too. I'm like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna see him, you know, stalk these women and and kill them. But if anyone hasn't seen it, um, the movie plays out in his trials mm-hmm. and the different trials he went through. Because as soon as he he was, now I'm just basing off the movie. Uh, I never actually read any thing about Ted Bundy. Mm-hmm. So you know, in the movie, he gets arrested for a. Uh, it was a speeding ticket, wasn't it, or something like that? I mean, he, he was pulled over, but then, you know, he fit the profile of this person, and mm-hmm. you know, who's, you know, a suspect in this murder trial, or murder, you know. Oh, yeah. And, oh, and he gets pulled over by uh, James Hetfield, <laughs> lead, uh, lead singer of Metallica. Yeah. Uh, which shocked me. Uh, anyway. That was nuts, right? Right. It's kind of like when, <laughs> sidebar, when I saw Andrew Dice Clay in A Star is Born. Yes. I was like, is that the Dice Man? <laughs> like, I was I was looking around to people around me in the theater. I was like, is that the Dice Man? Are you seeing this? <laughs> hey, 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 you. Is that the Dice Man? That's great. You know, I... <laughs> <laughs> it almost takes you out of it. Like when I saw Paul Reiser in Whiplash, I was like, is that, oh, yeah. is that Paul uh, Reiser? Anyway, continue. But yeah, you know, so so that's where it kind of spit, you know, spitballs and, you know, leads through his trials and his uh, his first escape, then his second escape, and then, you know, the, the trial that really I, I would, cemented him. I would argue that it's more of a biopic for his wife. It's really told in her perspective, right? Because right. she doesn't know if this stuff is true or not. Yeah, which she denies the whole movie, which, yeah. uh, as it's revealed, spoiler alert, you know, as oh, it's revealed boy. at the end of the movie, she was the one who put Ted's name out there. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting that the whole reason she's been denying this because it's her guilt yeah. thinking – like oh it's it's never been Ted I it's my fault this is happening right you know which you know I really I really liked so you know kind of flipping it all the way back you know so you know I I don't know much <laughs> know much about serial killers um, bummer it's really fun <laughs> I mean I'm definitely interested in the psyche. Mm-hmm. Of a serial killer, yeah, uh, I think that's why I really liked uh, the show Alienist. Sidebar. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The show was great, um, but I'm, but that's you know, so I don't know a lot about serial killers. So that for me was very interesting, you know, um, to because you know, I was, as you saw, because you saw the movie, you mm-hmm. know, they actually have footage from the trial, yeah, and they use a lot of the things that were said. Right. So I thought that was interesting because, you know, I wasn't alive during the Ted Bundy murders. Oh, you uh, weren't? No. Man, no. Uh, yeah. In my past life, I was. Yeah, probably. But, um, you know, so that was interesting, you know, for me because kind of like what I said, uh, mentioned, you know, I like that we don't actually see him murder anyone. Right. It's, it, it's almost like they're not necessarily taking the gore out of it, but it's... No, because you're we're putting they're putting the the audience in the mindset of people who weren't sure, right? right. If we saw if we cut to him sawing this this girl's head off, right, right, and and then go back to well, I'm not sure if it, and we're like yes he did it you idiot, 
But since we don't see any of it, we're like, I don't know. Maybe he didn't do it. I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> like when when he's arrested in Florida for right. killing the sorority girls. Right. We're just like, well, we didn't see him. Do- so Yeah, we just see him picking up the girls. And then it cuts to right. What so happened? It's it does put us in in the in the shoes of the people who just flat out were not sure because he maintained his innocence till the very end until you know it was like a week before he died or whatever, and then he started spilling beans. Right. Um. And even then, they're like he didn't even give us half of it. They don't. Yeah, think. yeah. And then aren't they expecting because he gave like what 30, 30 names? Yeah. But aren't they expecting it's like that's oh, way higher than that? Yeah. And it's like that's insane. How many? Think about. I, this is a way <laughs> sidetrack, and I apologize to the listeners, but I couldn't imagine just the time it takes to mm. murder thirty people. And, well, because I mean, your brain isn't isn't wired to think like that you know and that's well quit rubbing it in i know i don't get it all right Ryan. jeez <laughs> uh but and not trying to keep with like the serial killer biopics but did you ever see uh my friend Dahmer? no i know it's based on a comic book it's based on a graphic novel written by oh, what's the difference one of jeffrey Dahmer's high school friends okay um and from what I understand, they the movie plays out exactly like the book. So okay. it's his friend retelling what he experienced going to high school with Jeffrey with Jeff. Dahmer. Yeah. Um, and the movie is is very interesting. Yeah. You know, we see you see kind of the the beginning stages of what became a very famous serial killer. You know, like he. Yeah. He kill he uh, he doesn't kill any animals that I remember, but he would take their their dead bodies mm-hmm. and pretty much pickle them in yeah. embalming fluid. Neat. Um, and see what would happen when they break down. Um, you know his his mom was batshit crazy. His dad was like, you need you know you need to be a man. You need to you know work out. You need to be on the football team. And you see this, like, boy. Like, at one point, me and Ashley both agreed that kind of felt sorry yeah. for Jeffrey Dahmer. Because mm-hmm. uh, at one part, and I'm going to give another spoiler, even though the movie's, uh, I think, a year and a half old now. Probably. Um, his, his parents get a divorce. And he just graduates high school. His mom bails with his little brother. She doesn't come to his graduation. Uh, and his dad's going out of town and pretty much leaving his childhood house to him. Mm-hmm. Like, pretty much, his dad's pretty much like, it's your house now. And uh, he comes home after his graduation and just, like, breaks down. And, like, pretty much is in the fetal. Like, you felt sorry for Jeffrey Dahmer. And then it ends with his very first murder. Oh, okay. That's um, interesting. Which I don't think was in the book, but, you know, it's got uh, Alex Wolf in it, you know. Shout out to our horror episode when we were talking about Hereditary. Yeah. He oh, played, Alex Wolf. Yeah. He right. plays the friend who... Gotcha. ...who writes the book. Oh, okay. Um, and what's super crazy is I kind of read up on the book, and well, the graphic novel, and there, there there's a, a, um, a page at the very end of the book where um, they... All the friends in high school, they all met up, like, in, like, 2000, or no, no, in, like, during the time where Jeffrey was killing people. Oh. Um, 
they all met up and uh, they're all you know talking to each other and like how you been you know what are you up to and someone's asking you know, I wonder what Jeffrey's up to and someone jokingly said I bet he's a serial killer <laughs> and yeah so I mean, but you know biopics like that you know, kind of like what I was saying is you know I want to know I want to know what happened I want to yeah. learn what was going on right and I think that's why those interest me so much for yeah, for me at for least, sure to bring it all the way back on why biopics interest everyone yeah um you know let's switch gears a little bit okay. uh, from serial killers let's talk about the movie uh, zodiac yes uh, <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah yeah because i uh, okay not really switching gears uh, that was obviously joking but uh probably the movie on this giant list i've made that I've seen the most. I bet you I've seen it oh, yeah. 20 times. Oh, yeah. I, um, I think I've seen it at least five or six times. It's, for me, it's probably the best detective film I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. But I do keep it as a biopic because we really do focus on Robert Graysmith, uh, played by Jake Hall. J- yeah, Jake right. Um And he's the one who wrote the book. I do own the book. It's in my shelf at work. Um yeah, how's, sure. the, how's the book versus the movie? I'm just curious. Well, I mean, it's, you know, they do embellish, you know, him and um, Robert Downey Jr.'s character. God, what is it? I completely uh, forgot his name. I'm so sorry. I've seen the movie 20 times. Anyway, <laughs> um, they weren't really friends. Okay. Right? Um I mean, they were... Paul Avery. Paul Avery, thank you. So, uh, Robert Graceman and Paul Avery weren't really friends, right? They okay. didn't hang out after work. You know, I'm sure they were friendly in the workplace, but On, as far as that went. Paul Avery was... He was a journalist. Yeah, he, he was one of the... Um, he was he did crime in, uh, yeah, Mark, in, San, in San Francisco. Uh, he did the crime and Mark stories. Ruffalo was the detective. Yes, uh, Dave Tosky. Now, yeah. Dave Tosky, he is... <laughs> he was a um, consultant on the movie. Um, okay. He has since passed away, unfortunately. But yeah, um, it was pretty recent. Wasn't it was it? really recent. So Dave Tosky is why we have Bullet and Dirty Harry. Really? Yes. So when uh, when these guys were making these films, um, they were set in San Francisco, and they did some ride-alongs and interviews with Dave Tosky, and they took a lot of his mannerisms, where how he holds his gun, mm-hmm. you know, um, how he holsters it, you know, the way he carries himself, the way he dresses, and, and that is... Steve McQueen's character in Bullet, and that's Dirty Harry. Clint Eastwood, um, wow. Yeah. So that's it. That... there's a line in the movie, uh, in Zodiac, where Robert Graysmith goes, wow, he wears his gun like Bullet. And um, Paul Avery goes, Bullet got it from Tosky. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So anyway, um, so we get to learn a lot about <laughs> these people. Um, but it's the, it's the proceduralness. It's the... You know the the investigation. Right. It's, you know, and he was a cartoonist, and that is true. Uh, uh, Robert Graysmith was okay. a cartoonist at at the San Francisco Chronicle, and this just really got to him. This uh, this Zodiac case, mm. he just couldn't let it go, and so he spent years of his life, and it cost him a marriage. Um, and he finally wrote this book, and at the very end. Uh, the movie they they uh, go and they talk to one of the victims that survived and this was like and that's one of the first ones and it's uh it's Paul Dano isn't it no no it's no, no, not, it's Paul, not Dano. Paul Dano it's 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 a 
He's Jimmy in, Simpson. Jimmy Simpson. That's, that's right. right. Um, they they look sort of similar. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. That. Um, and actually, the kid version of him is um, Minkus from Boy Meets World. <laughs> Holy shit! Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's right. Oh so my God. when they're when they're meeting him in the um, in the airport mm-hmm. to show him a lineup. Um, to find out who this guy is, right? right? To see if he remembers anything from all those years ago. Uh, they do pass a rack of books, and Zodiac is on the rack of books. So, oh, nice. So the letting us know the book has come out. He has, you know, um, he has finally written it, whatever. But it's such an interesting story, and yeah. they, they are companions. I would say the book and the movie are companions. They're not meant to replace the other, Okay. right? Um because the book is so dense with detail. Really, oh yeah. And okay. Because it's not written like it's not really written like a narrative. He just kind of writes what he was experiencing. Right, and then what he what he discovers in his investigations and other other people's findings and writing it all down and. Yeah, because yeah. I, I think that's why the movie stuck with me. Because uh, again, uh, I know nothing about serial killers. Yeah, um, that's a bummer. <laughs> and I'd always heard about, you know, the Zodiac Killer. Yeah. And um, I never understood the importance of it mm-hmm. until I saw the movie. And now I get it. And, and that even fascinates me because this is a serial killer that's never been caught. Right. And no one knows what he looks like, sounds like, you know. And, Actually, um, or in the movie... It four different people play him. So, um, and it's never one of the suspects, right? So, um, so like at the end when they're questioning, um, Jimmy Simpson, yeah. No, no, not Jimmy Simpson. Uh, the, he, he's in, um, shit. Who is Fargo? He? Uh, I can't think of his name. He played uh, John Wayne Gacy in, yeah. um, American Horror Story. Yeah, yeah. He was also in Fargo. He was, uh, Margie's husband. Um, yeah, yeah, that guy. Yeah, but so, like, when they question him, he's actually not... It, it does give you two options. The movie gives you two options. Uh-huh. It's either Arthur Lee Allen, uh, who is that guy. Right. Or it's the other guy. Shit. <laughs> and I don't remember his name at the moment. Um, but the movie gives you two options, and you can go from there. I mean, it's, you know, what, what do you believe? Okay. Um, the movie actually ends... Well, it really ends with, you know, um, interviewing Jimmy Simpson. But before then, it ends with Robert Graysmith getting something from a hardware store. And Arthur Lee Allen is working at that hardware store, you know. Mm -hmm. And and Robert looks at him and he is just awestruck, you know, that he's just standing in front of him. And and then Arthur Lee Allen looks at him like he knows who he is, too. And, you know, it's it's this really weird exchange. And then he just leaves the store. Uh, Anyway. (laughs) <laughs> Zodiac. It is it is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. It's definitely the one I've probably seen the most. Right. If I mean either that or Requiem for a Dream or whatever, but um Um but you know, but kinda kinda switching with that, you know, so we have you know, biopics are you know are you know historical in their own right. Yeah. Um, you know, we we have you know, majority of them are dramas. You know, we have ones on serial killers. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to kind of switch gears to um, not necessarily uh, musicals per se, but 
people involving like you know music like, musicians right like biopics and musicians those right. are so fascinating right oh yeah um you know like one of the first ones i can at least remember and it's been a while since i've seen it uh is ray yeah with uh, jamie fox yeah um very interesting um because i never knew that uh because ray wasn't born blind it no. was it was an accident wasn't yeah. it that yeah like, that uh it was a oh man hold on um no i don't think it was an accident i think it deteriorated over time okay when when he was you know i mean single digit i mean we're not we're not talking he wasn't a teenager when he lost it i mean he was still like six or seven but right um but yeah it just his eyesight just deteriorated over time yeah and see and that's and that's something that i never knew that um you know that that because i i always assumed that Ray Charles was born blind, mm-hmm. you know that not necessarily as most blind people are, but that is a commonality of of being blind is that you're born blind. I know. Uh, I think we're gonna get angry phone calls about I that. Know, I, I know. I know. I don't know if that's true. Either. I'm uh, someone's gonna show up and be like, "Hey, I heard what you said." Yeah. Because hey. I can only hear what you said. Oh wow! Uh, oh, that was great. I'm so sorry. Oh no, no I, we're <laughs> leaving that in. That was really funny. Um, so what gets me about? Um, music biopics right? right about musicians i love the the procedure of making the music so where that came from right right and it doesn't it doesn't hurt to love the music as well so oh yeah uh, i love ray charles have for a long time and so when the movie came out i was like sweet i love Ray Charles music mm-hmm. and so getting to watch the process right and you, you get an inkling in, in the movie about you know because so, mm-hmm. really that's not what the movie's about the movie's about Ray Charles right but every once in a while you get a few scenes where he is composing he's writing and it's like and, ooh and he gets the ideas right it's like oh that was cool yeah yeah and, and now we kind of were talking about it off mic but I, I do have to talk about it uh, Bohemian Rhapsody fine <laughs> Do what you will. I know a lot of people have mixed emotions about this movie. Uh, and there's something else I want to talk about that involves Bohemian Rhapsody, but we'll get to yeah. later. Uh, but speaking of like what you're saying, like how they were writing the music. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this is going to tie into what I want to talk about. But they did take a lot of liberties with the storytelling of Bohemian Rhapsody and they when they were writing certain music. But from what I read, how a lot of those ideas came about mm-hmm. were true. Like how the how they were kind of workshopping these ideas, like Bohemian Rhapsody, for example, um, that it is technically considered the most expensive song ever (laughs) made because of how long Freddie was working on it. And I was watching behind the scenes stuff with uh, Brian May and Roger Taylor, and they they thought it was going to be called Mama, I Killed a Man. Yeah. That's what they thought it was going to be called. Yeah. And then when Freddie when they Freddie came to them and was like, oh, it's going to be called Bohemian Rhapsody. They're like, oh, okay, I guess. Yeah. Sure. Because uh, they were unsure. They were not necessarily unsure about it, but they were like, cool, I guess. Yeah. But, you know, something like, but kind of like what you're saying, how these ideas were coming to them and mm-hmm. is what one of the things I really liked about Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, yeah, that movie has a lot of that. Yeah, um, um, you know, we yeah. see Freddie composing Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, they do uh, We Will Rock You uh, a decade late. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, if anyone didn't know, some of it was out of order. Yeah. So if anyone didn't know, uh, when Queen wrote "We Will Rock You," they did not write it in the '80s. They had already written it in the '70s. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and we are the champions. It's basically the same song. Yeah. And if you're a good DJ on the radio, you play them back, back to back. back. Yeah. <laughs> My dad and I get so furious if they don't play them back to back. If they just play one or the other. Yeah. We're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Who do you think you are? You know? <laughs> Call and, in to 95. What is it? Was it KBAT now again? I don't know. Reference. Uh, shout out to our uh, local stations here in Middle No, not Texas. shout out to them because <laughs> first of all, they're not paying us anything. Second of all, <laughs> What if they're the guys who are only playing We Will Rock You and then they move on to something else? Those Jags? No. <laughs> Sorry, I get really angry. Um, but uh, what was that? Um, but anyway, you know, and then when like, you know, they, they're they workshopping the idea for um, Another One Bites the Dust. Yeah. Like, so yeah, that, that was something I really loved mm-hmm. is seeing how they came up with these ideas and... And one of the big things that I learned about Queen, and I can't believe I never uh, figured it out sooner for, about their music, mm-hmm. was that they are not set on any specific genre. Right. Like, their first few albums, it's obviously rock. Mm-hmm. And then they get into stadium rock. And then they cross into rock, but with, you know, synthesizers and because they were adjusting for the eras. Right. And... At the same time, it's all Queen at mm-hmm. the same time. Yeah. You know, so that was something I really loved learning, you know, kind of what you've been saying about how they right, seeing the process. how they. Yeah. Um, you know, it's so this <laughs> and, you know, writing music isn't as glamorous as you think it is. I, I was watching a documentary about the Eagles. Mm-hmm. I love the Eagles so much. And this actually isn't about an Eagle song, <laughs> but they used to live or Glenn Fry used to live. Um, with Jackson Brown. Okay. And Jackson Brown was writing Doctor My Eyes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what he would do was he would play what he had, mm-hmm. you know, and then he would stop. He would add. He would start over, play till. <laughs> what he added? Play till what he added, stop, add, start over again. And so Glenn Fry said he had to listen <laughs> to Doctor My Eyes like a million times because he wouldn't. <laughs> He goes, if I have to hear that song one more goddamn time, I swear to God. He's like, you know, and because it's not as glamorous as you think it is, but it is as much hard work as you think it is. Right. Yeah. Writing, writing music. Oh, yeah. So that's why I think my me personally, that's why I love music biopics is because it it does show you how hard it is. Oh, yeah. Um, now, I, t- uh, we, we, I mentioned off mic that we weren't really going to talk about this, but I have to know. Right. In Rocket Man... <laughs> And spoiler alert to anyone who hasn't seen Rocket Man, I just I need to know for my own edification. I have seen Rocket Man, I saw it on Thursday. Do we see Elton writing music? We see Elton compose music to lyrics. Because okay. he did not write the lyrics. Um, yeah, is, is, his isn't writing it, partner did. Isn't it his and that's his husband? No. No? No, no, no. They've just been They've been songwriting partners forever. And that's who, uh, what's his name? Jamie? Jamie Bell. Is that who he's playing? Yes, that's who he plays. Okay. Yeah, that's who he plays. No, um, and I guess I I known, I didn't know it was for all of it. And it is for all of it. So everything you've heard, everything good you've heard, because there was that time in the in the eighties where they stopped working together and then his music was terrible. But um 
anything from the for sure the seventies, <laughs> and um, that you love. So we're talking. Then you the Jets. We're talking Daniel. We're talking Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting. We're talking Honky Cat. We're t- I mean. He didn't write the lyrics to that, right? But he did write the music for it. Okay. And he could play the piano and he could sing. So that's, you know... Okay. Um, he's still brilliant, right? Mm-hmm. He just didn't write the words down. Okay. I, I yeah. just... I was just curious just because, you know, as I mentioned, we're... Me and are going to go see that pretty soon. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to know to, to kind of further with our conversation about yeah. seeing the, these artists write their actual music. Um but I want to kind of keep going with the whole thing of hard work. Yeah. Into, and I can't believe I didn't think of any of these. Uh, I want to go into the uh, territory of sport biopics. Okay. Um, first of all, I can't believe I forgot. Remember the Titans. Oh, I thought you were going to say Cool Runnings. All right, um, fine. Cool Runnings is based on true story? Yes. <laughs> well, you know how long it's been since I've seen Cool Runnings? I can't believe your your answer isn't at least a week ago because <laughs> Cool Runnings is amazing. Something you should be watching at least once a year. Ah, oh, man. Um, but so, well, so one of the ones I wrote down um, was Eddie the Eagle. Have, okay. Did you ever yeah. see that one? Okay. Um, so uh, directed by Dexter Fletcher, who just did... Rocket Man. Also starring Taron Edgerton. Right. Um, it's about this guy named uh, Eddie Edwards. Uh, his, his nickname is Eddie. I don't know what his actual first name is. His real his, his given first name. Um, but his, his nickname is Eddie, and that's what everyone calls him. Eddie Edwards. Um, and he had a dream since he was a kid that he was going to become an Olympian. <laughs> and as time went on like he had um problems with his knees as time went on he realized okay yeah i'm not gonna make it to the summer olympics i'm gonna go to the winter olympics and be a skier uh, he's gonna be a, a um, um downhill uh, yeah downhill uh, skier yeah i think um, all skiing is down at- no it's not because there's cross-country skiing all right cool i <laughs> i was about to say uh hold on no but we're good i think we're, um, we'll be fine yeah. well and then like he he gets cut from the british uh, Olympic team because mm-hmm. they you know they think he'll be an embarrassment and so he decides that he's going to be an Olympic ski jumper because they don't have anyone on the British team who's jumping uh, and it's it's a very different biopic in the sense that it's not dramatic at all okay it's actually very lighthearted and heartfelt oh, okay um Hugh Jackman's in it. He plays his coach. He, I think, he was created for the movie. Okay. To just kind of help along. We'll talk about that because there's there's a lot of oh, movies yeah. on my list that they do have to create characters or an element in the movie to further the story or to create exposition, so you know what's going on. But <laughs> okay. anyway, <laughs> um, but everywhere, everything from the the tone of the movie to the. Um, score which you know score of it's probably one of my favorite scores of any movie because it's all 80s synthesizer like the the entire thing um there was no orchestra because originally the composer that they hired i don't know his name he was going to come in with the full orchestra and they're like we want 80s yeah and so he literally sat down with a synthesizer and just went and composed the entire movie on the synthesizer. It, was, it, it is a very 80s story. Um, 
I I was watching an episode of the Goldbergs and they were talking about Eddie the Eagle. Yeah, on the on the Goldbergs. So, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. He's uh, from what I understand, Eddie Edwards is like a uh, a British national treasure. Yeah. Um, he went. He came in last in both things he competed in, but the point of the movie is. He wanted to prove people wrong. That's right. He didn't care if he wanted to win, and they and that's one of the scenes in the movie where um, he he's going to be going to the Olympics because he goes on the European circuit mm-hmm. of competitive to you know to get you know get his name out there, and he on the final one that's going to get him to the Olympics, he bombs it. Oh no! But they recorded the practice jump that he did the day before, and that qualified him. Really? Um, That's interesting. That well, seems Hugh, like a weird loophole. Hugh Jackman's character, his coach, told him uh, pretty much tells him like, you know, don't go now. Don't go as a qualifier. Let's go as a contender. So let's wait four years, go in the ninety Olympics, and you know, then you could win. But Eddie, the point that Eddie tries to make is, well, it's not about winning. Like I just, I want to go. Right. And and I think and and you really see his hard work. I mean, of course, obviously, Taron Edgerton doesn't actually jump off of these. Uh, he might have done the fifteen meter one because that's like, I don't maybe. Yeah, I don't how know. hard is that? Yeah. But um, I do it. there's no way. <laughs> but no, it, the, you know, they there's training montages in it which uh, were really funny. Yeah. Uh, it's got one of my best lines in it where his. Favorite lines, I should say, or uh, Hugh Jackman is explaining to him when he goes downhill, he needs to envision that he's <laughs> making love, like, full quote for quote, making love to Bo Derek. <laughs> and um, and he, as he's going on, he's like, yeah, and, you know, and he's like, and there's only one way you know that you're doing it right. You know what I mean? And <laughs> Taryn's kind of looking at him. He's like, yeah, she, she falls asleep. I, I I fall asleep, and Hugh Jackman is just like, uh, no. But um, but you know, it really. So talking about like the hard work, it really showed like all the hard work that Eddie put in to train himself because he pretty much trains himself the whole movie. And uh, I watched the behind the scenes where they actually interviewed him, and yeah, he pretty much trains himself yeah. to do everything, and um, it. it it was really nice to see that, to see that, you know, the one thing that he wanted to achieve, he kind of did it himself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All right. Eddie the Eagle. <laughs> Eddie the Eagle. I would definitely recommend watching it. Uh, it's produced by Matthew Vaughn, who did Kingsman. Oh, yeah. Which is the reason why Taron got the role, because uh, uh, Matthew Vaughn really wanted him in it. I, you know, I agree. I do like sports ones as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like boxing movies um, okay. my favorite Raging Bull is uh, uh, Jake LaMotta and it's a um, Martin Scorsese film with, uh, I was about to say I'm like yeah yeah because it's Robert De Niro right <laughs> Joe Pesci um, and it's probably one of the best boxing movies of all time uh, in my personal opinion okay um, that really does show dedication hard work what happens when <laughs> What happens when you're not in it? What happens when your heart's not in it? And um, Scorsese did something really, really cool is that when when Jake was in it, he was trying his best. He was going for it. Mm-hmm. We were in the ring. But when he wasn't, we would film outside the ring. 
Okay. And so that's how you would know ah, his heart's not in it. He's not he's not trying his best. He's not trying hard enough. Okay. Right? Um, he's he's kind of giving up. And so we would we would exit the ring. Right. Okay. Like uh, us as the audience. Right. Um, the camera would be set outside the ring. Right. Okay. So um, it's brilliant. I love it so much. Um, so well, speaking of boxing, yeah, before, go before you go on, yeah. did you ever see uh, Blood for This with Miles Teller? I did not. Uh, where he plays uh, Vinny. I have it up. I, I don't just like know it off the top of my head. Uh, Vinny Peasant. I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm not going to. You really should have practiced first. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not even going to try to. Uh, they called him the Pasmanian Devil. That's funny. Um, I was just curious if you've seen it because I know it's another boxing No, I do like boxing movies. Um, but now I, no, I'm not a huge Miles Teller guy. So, oh, I, okay. uh, but I'm a, I'm a gigantic Martin Scorsese <laughs> guy. So I love Martin, anything he does. So um, I want to, okay, let's talk about movies, biopics that are hard because there are obstructions in their way. I'm going to give you two examples. Okay. One, Zero Dark Thirty. Okay. okay. Really wanted to see that. It's very, very good. Okay. Jessica Chastain's character, we are not allowed to know who she is. We are not allowed to know her real name. We're not allowed to know what she looks like um, because she is undercover for the CIA. Okay. So we have this, we have this obstruction, you know, mm-hmm. that these filmmakers have to overcome, which is we're not allowed to know who she is, right? Mm-hmm. She's. I mean, I don't even think we're allowed to know if they've met with her or anything. Like, I mean, we're we're talking, you know, like super redacted. Oh yeah, for sure, right? And uh, so it's really hard because I saw the movie. I love the movie, mm-hmm. um, but for me, it's hard to know what's real, what's not, what what for sure can be confirmed is correct. What did they embellish? What do they have to add? For the runtime, what do they have to add for, you know, dramatic effect, blah, 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 you know? Mm-hmm. And when Howard Stern, um, yeah, I'm jumping to a Howard Stern. We'll get to private parts in a minute. <laughs> Don't you worry about that. All right. But when Howard Stern interviewed one of the guys from Steel Team 6, you know, he was talking about it. And he knows that he's not allowed to tell us anything. But um, he was saying, man, is she really a knockout like uh, Jessica Chastain is? He goes, She's hotter than Jessica. She's like, whoa, you know what I mean? That's crazy. So I mean, um, so they got that right at least. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and another. So again, movies with their their own built-in obstructions mm-hmm. would be Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Now we talked about this for a minute off mic. Uh, it's our Sam Rockwell. It's directed by George Clooney. And, really? Yeah, and it is about um, this guy. He was a game show host who claims he was undercover for the CIA, I think, or FBI or something. Okay. And so here's why this movie is different from other biopics is they are treating the film as if it's all true. And everything he says is true. Okay. okay. So we're going to put in everything he claims to have done. And so at the end of the movie, they said that – I forgot if it was CIA or FBI. But they, they said that they deny him ever being affiliated with them at all. So um, – which doesn't take away from what you saw because it's like, of course they're going to say that. He's undercover with his hand. Whatever, right? Right, right. So it's... like I, a Kind of like a snake eating its tail right, kind of thing. I, I call it... 
in here, I call it, he, it's an unreliable narrator. I okay. don't know if what we are seeing actually happened. Right. Right. And, um, but Sam Rockwell gives a knockout performance. I love it so much. It's an insane movie because, I mean, it's a crazy story, right? Right. This guy who is a game show host is now, you know, doing undercover missions for the FBI or CIA. <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 that's really interesting. Yeah. You know, speaking of, you know, I, this isn't in that same kind of realm, but I do want to talk about a movie a biopic that was nuts, and we did kind of mention it. Uh, Man on the Moon. Man on the Moon. Um, involving, uh, in my opinion, the most uh, cutting edge comedian of its t- of you know of at all. Um, Ooh, mom, uh, dad, plug your ears because you guys hate this guy. So <laughs> Andy Kaufman. Andy Kaufman. Um, I think, like, truly, before we get into the movie, I truly think Andy Kaufman is a fucking genius. Yeah. Like, I, I absolutely love his his style of comedy. You don't know what's real. Um, and I think that's what adds to this mystery of of who he was and isn't and and I'm gonna point it out, even though I do think he's a genius and we don't know what's real, I do believe he is dead. Okay. I, I that was gonna ask. <laughs> I one hundred percent believe he is dead. Yeah. Um for those listening who've never seen Man on the Moon, we're about to answer your question. Um but f- before we really get in, uh what do you think Jim Carrey really embodied Andy Kaufman. Yes, and only you know. There's a we talked about it earlier. There's a phenomenal documentary on Netflix about his time on set, mm-hmm. and you know his his sort of you know um, transformation f- you would say. commitment. Yeah. So if anyone didn't know, um, if you can find Man on the Moon on DVD. There are no special features. There is no behind-the-scenes footage. Well, no, there. I think there are a few uh, special features. I don't know. I haven't looked. Uh, but there are no behind-the-scenes photo. Uh, nothing. Because, uh, and I don't know if anyone else knew this, Jim Carrey's a method actor. He's kind of toned it up a little bit now. But he went full method. And uh, as we learned from Robert I. Jr. in um, <laughs> Tropic Thunder, <laughs> you don't go full method. No. And um, so Andy, uh, Jim, well, Jim went so deep into Andy Kaufman that people had to call him Andy on set when he was Andy Kaufman. And when I say that is because, you know, Andy has his alter ego, Tony Clifton. Oh, yeah, Tony Clifton. Who... And the reason why, so the reason why they took these off, and uh, as Jeremy mentioned on Netflix, they have a wonderful documentary of all the behind-the-scenes footage, where they actually also interviewed Jim Carrey when he went through his kind of little, I would say, um, um, uh, midlife crisis and grew out his big ass beard. It's a great beard. It was. It was a great beard. He shaved it. Yeah, um, I know. Uh, he talks about how the reason why they didn't release this because they didn't want Jim Carrey to look like an asshole. Yeah, and because uh, he does. Yeah. But, you know, the reason why I said yes immediately to your question um, that he embodied Andy Kaufman is because they would bring – and you see it in the documentary. They bring – Andy's family mm-hmm. on set and they said it was like having Andy back they said I mean it's like you know it, there he is he's right there mm-hmm. you know what I mean so I mean you have the seal of approval from his family you mm-hmm. know what I mean and it's it's a great movie I mean I I may not love everything Andy Kaufman ever did mm-hmm. um, 
and the stuff I do like he didn't like, <laughs> which is I like him in Taxi, you know? Oh, yeah, and he, oh, um, yeah, and he loathed yeah, Taxi. Yeah, he hated Taxi. Um, but, you know, I really, really dig, and this is why I like the music stuff, is I really dig the where this stuff came from what 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 was his mindset what was the process how did he figure all this stuff out what is you know like and uh, it's incredible uh like uh, uh one of my favorite parts is when he goes to that college he, he reads the great gatsby isn't it or I, I think it is the great gatsby and he does read the entire thing <laughs> yeah so so if anyone doesn't know um he, he's going to do a, a comedy show at a college, I don't remember what college, and all these call and it was it was gonna be it was free, wasn't it? Or I don't remember. And besides the point, I don't know. And so all these college kids are thinking like, oh, okay, he's gonna do some of his characters or sing songs, and he literally reads the entire Great Gatsby book. Yeah. And cover to cover. Doesn't like the whole audience leave? A lot of I think one or two people stay, but <laughs> I would stay because I think that's funny. I think I get it. Yeah, and so that was, and so if anyone doesn't know, uh, that's that was Andy's style of comedy, is he, he you didn't know what was going to happen, like when he sings um, Mighty Mouse, the Mighty Mouse theme, yeah, and he just stands there while it's playing, and then the whole Here I come to save yeah. the day. It was on SNL when he did that, yeah. Yeah, um, and so and if anyone's also wondering, like, okay, why do you think he's dead? So in the in the movie. Uh, Andy is diagnosed with thyroid cancer. cancer, some kind of cancer, some kind of cancer, the cancer that can kill you. I mean, all cancer oh. can kill you. Um, but the thing is, and they show this in the movie, uh, Andy's alter ego, Tony Clifton. Andy wasn't the only one playing him. Andy's manager also could play Tony Clifton. So they could be at the same place at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, no one can see my, my nose nose. Uh, but anyway, um, but a lot of people believe that Andy faked his death mm-hmm. to, um, as, as a bit. Um, but in my opinion, it's been, uh, 30 plus years. You could argue that that proves it, that he did fake his death because he would, he would commit to it, you know. Yeah. I mean, for me, that's all I'm saying. I, I'm I mean, saying, I'll, I'll, no, I'll, I'll give, I'll, I'll, I'll give credit where credits due. Like, yeah, like that. He he would wait this long before maybe making a resurgence, right? But no, I I do believe he did die. He died. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unfortunate, but true. Yeah. Unlikely. But you know, that's one of those biopics that. You know, it really sticks with you because it also kind of breaks the format when he <laughs> has the credits roll at the very beginning of the movie because yeah. he's playing his uh, – it's uh, Milos is the character's name, I think. Well, uh, Milos Foreman is the um, director. Well, I thought, but I thought his character was called mm. – uh, mm. uh, Oh, from Taxi. Uh, yeah. No, I don't remember. Um, uh, no, and that is not right. Milos is not his name. Uh, Latka. Latka, that's right. That's it. Well, I mean, that's what he's called on, um, on uh, uh, Taxi. Right. But we're just going to use that. Um, but, uh, you know, and then he has the fucking credits playing. Um, but no, it was, it, was, it was so crazy – you know, because even us as the audience, we didn't know what was real and what Andy was putting on. And like, right. like when, when he has the, the joke 
about messing up the um Oh, the, the tape. The tape, the, yeah, to make yeah, it seem, you know. The film, yeah. Because, you know, the people will get up and bang on their TVs. Right. And you know, to him, that was funny. But the network executives like, well, Andy, we don't want people to do that. Yeah. We want them to sit down and continue watching. And I don't know. I just, I just, I love the movie. I, I think no, it's, it's great. it's great. Um, okay. Let's do... Now we've touched on I've touched on one of these, so we'll we'll skip that one. But I want to talk about since we'll this will be a nice transition. Andy broke the rules. Let's talk about uh, biopics that also break the rules. Okay. Okay. Now we talked about Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, which does break the rules because it's giving full credit to this guy who may be lying, right? Right. right. Um, so let's talk about a few movies, not in great detail, we don't have time, but... Um, well, I mean, we're, we're but, um, Let's talk about Bronson. Yes. Um, Nicholas Winding Refn's uh, biopic of Charles Bronson, which is not his real name. No, it, um, it, uh, I thought Charles is his first name, though, right? No. No? No, he took it from the actor Charles Bronson. Right. Um, so the 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 story is this this British guy loved Michael. that's his name. Loved going to prison. He absolutely loved it. He loved fighting. He loved he loved the whole thing. Yeah, because he was a he was a bare knuckle boxer too, wasn't he? Well, he, if not, he ended up being one. So <laughs> and the reason it breaks the rules is we do have scenes of him laying out his life story in front of a studio audience on stage, right? He's wearing a tuxedo, white gloves, his face is painted white, and, you know, he's like this vaudevillian sort of um, character that is telling his life story, and he's, you know, going bit by bit, and it's a really cool break from the action, so we'll we'll see a scene, we'll break, we'll go, we'll cut back to him on the stage, and he'll be describing what it was like, blah, 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 and then he'll say something, we'll cut back to, you know, a year later, whatever, done that. Um... And I really, really dig that style of filmmaking. Mm. Um, there's another film that does something sort of similar to that. It's called Low. L-O. Okay. Uh, this guy has summoned this love demon <laughs> and is trying to get him back to whatever. But in certain camera angles, you'll see people like sitting on the wings of the stage like on the sides of the stage or whatever uh-huh. and like you'll see cr- crew members or whatever back there it's it's very odd um, but it kind of does the same thing as Bronson does which it it cuts format and goes to this sort of meta sort of s- surrealist stage performance right okay um, I love Bronson so much Tom Hardy that guy can do no wrong in my book well and apparently um he and the actual guy like wrote letters to each other. Yeah, and he, uh, the actual Bronson, like was like, yeah, Tom is perfect to play yeah. me. No, he was really stoked that Tom was doing it. Yeah, um, yeah, I know, and it has one of my favorite things of Tom Hardy switching his uh, his facial features. Oh yeah, going from like that like shit eating grin and then just like deadpan like yeah oh, no one can see what I'm doing and the, but, but, no, but that's another break in the narrative this straight to camera you know yeah, talking to the audience yeah sort of not the same thing as the stage performance that's separate but, but this still, is yeah, right. still looking directly into camera right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, and he does that he does a lot he does that I know he does that at the very beginning of the movie mm-hmm because they just have a light shined on him and he's 
my name's Charlie Bronson. Right. <laughs> um, and then I think he does it in those other breaks right, too yeah. around, around the movie. Um, I can't think of any other ones that would break that mold myself. Um, I'll, it's not going to be quite in the same way, but I'll give you an example. The Doors. Right. So we have Jim Morrison in The Doors, and it's Oliver Stone, 1990. Um what makes it rule breaking is its surrealist elements. It's to get inside the the mind space of Jim Morrison. Right. Jim Morrison did a lot of psychedelic drug. Okay. No, oh, yeah. And it was also the, you know, the late sixties, and you know, with the the drug revolution, sex revolution, blah blah blah, whatever. Mm-hmm. So to encapsulate the time, and to get you in the right headspace, right. Mm. And to really feel what they were feeling, blah, 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 whatever. There's a lot of elements in this film that are very surrealistic. You know, we have um, hallucinations. We have, you know, him speaking to Native Americans, Native American ghosts, right? Uh-huh. His, his spirit guides or whatever. Um, we we have them wandering in the desert. We have weird things happening in the desert. We have, so, and the whole movie's like that. So it's not bits and pieces it is sort of sprinkled on top of the entire movie Mm -hmm. and so I would call that a rule breaking sort of biopic kind of like Rocket Man Rocket Man's not your typical biopic either Um, so The Doors alright here's one you've never heard of you right? okay (laughs) it's called Secret Honor okay alright yeah I I, I think I asked you a little bit about that so this movie is Mm -hmm. a hypothetical, fictitious, this didn't happen. Or at least we don't know if it did or not. Doesn't matter. This is right after or right before Nixon will be impeached. This is after the Watergate scandal is broke and it is based on a stage performance and um, it is Nixon talking to himself, talking in a camera um, at his desk and just letting loose. Right. Okay. It's an hour and a half monologue. It's one guy. <laughs> it's Nixon, and it's sort of a it's sort of a what if? What if this did happen? What would he say? Mm-hmm. What would he say? How would he act? You know, would he be angry? Yes. Would he be, you know, sorry? Not really. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And it it's excellent. I highly recommend Secret Honor. Okay. Um, it's great. Now, uh, kind of speaking about that, you, uh, you mentioning based on a play. Yeah. Um, Amadeus. Mm-hmm. Um, Amadeus. That was probably one of the first three-hour-long movies I ever sat through. Yeah. Um, before. Also, Milos Forman, by the way, who yeah. uh, who directed um, Man, Man on the Moon. Moon. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, the thing with Amadeus that I learned, which if anyone doesn't know, uh, which you should know, it's uh, Beethoven. No, Mozart. Why did I say Beethoven? Wolf, I don't know. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Yeah, uh, yeah. Amadeus is his middle name. Um, Mozart. Uh, it, it's 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 a stage play that is based has a lot of truth mixed with a little bit of fiction. Mm-hmm. That um, I can't think of his name, but F. Murray Abraham's character. You know, and that's the whole point of the movie is we don't know his name, and um, he's uh, and I and I can't remember either. And that's the whole point of the movie is that we we need to know this guy's name because um, he you know at the very beginning of the movie he claims to have killed Amadeus. Yeah. Now, who uh, you know when the movie starts, he Amadeus has already been dead for 
10, 15 years. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when I first saw that movie, I looked, you know, I heavily researched it that, you know, Amadeus did die of, you know, this fever that no one could figure out where it had come from. Yeah. Why it wasn't going away. Um, and that he did have an unfinished uh, song, uh, Requiem, the Requiem, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and so what they did is they just added this fictitious character to be the only word I can think of is a linchpin into the story mm-hmm. to kind of give us some semblance of this could have happened this way. Yeah. And so the whole. If anyone doesn't know, the whole plot revolves around F. Murray Abraham's character, who we don't, me and Jeremy don't remember his name. He has a name. Christ. They say it. Um, they do. And his character is, you know, he 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 works in the palace of Germany, Austria? Austria. Austria. Um, and he teaches the emperor music. And Played by real-life pedophile Jeffrey Jones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Disney fired him. Uh, anyway, um, and he you know, teaches the emperor music, and because he makes a pact with God, if you can make me the greatest composer, I will never have sex. Antonio Sarieri. Ah. Uh, is, uh, sorry, I just IMDb'd it real quick, because <laughs> it was killing me. I can't believe I didn't know his name. And anyway. Anyway, um, but then... Uh, Mozart shows up and he becomes completely jealous because he realizes he is subpar to the genius that is Mozart. Mm. And it's it's a very good movie. Uh, Tom Hulse mm-hmm. is fantastic. If anyone doesn't know who that is, he voices the Hunchback in Disney's Hunchback of Notre Dame, which is not appropriate for children. It, uh, it's great. It, I, is, it's, it is a great movie, but it's... Not appropriate for children now that I'm older. Besides the Goofy movie, it's my all-time favorite oh, Disney movie. Goofy movie's great. Well, yeah. Welcome back to the Goofy movie yeah, podcast. Well, I'm, <laughs> we, I'm, I'm damn sure we could probably do a whole episode just on the Goofy movie. Oh, man. Don't tempt me with a good time. <laughs> we will probably do that next week. But anyway. Um, um, but no, so Amadeus, it's, you know, being an orchestra... You know, I, I always loved Mozart's music, but I felt like this gave me more to love. Even though I knew some of it was, wasn't was real, or maybe it was, or maybe it was just, you know, right. uh, uh, um, I can't think of the word. Embellished. There we go. Um, but it was still a great movie. Um, if anyone has sit through Avengers Endgame, you can sit through Amadeus. For sure. Um, definitely watch it. Uh, and kind of what you're saying, it kind of breaks the rules because it comes from a stage play. Right. But that stage play is based on fact with with a little a bit, bit of fiction. fiction. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll I'll um, I'll take your stage play, add in a little bit of fiction, and raise you. <laughs> um, <laughs> How about putting real life people in fictional situations? Okay. Um, Steve Jobs. Okay. So yeah, because I, I I have a lot to say about Steve Jobs. So Steve Jobs, I absolutely love this movie. Oh, it's great. It movie. is a perfect three act movie. Oh, Literally, yeah. we are in three different launches of three different products for Apple. So here's here's the cool stuff about it. Um, one. 
Yeah, Michael Fassbender does an amazing job. Yes. All right. I I will say I didn't like the 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 uh, critics saying, "Well, he doesn't look like Steve Jobs." Well, he's I don't, who cares? I don't care. He he. I felt like he embodied who Steve Jobs was. Yeah. He may not look like him, but he's acting like Steve Jobs. And I think in the third act, he does. He does. Oh, yeah, they do put an effort to make him kind of look like Steve because that wasn't their intention anyway. Yeah. Um. It's Danny Boyle. Uh, and Al, uh, Aaron Sorkin. And Aaron Sorkin, my man. Aaron Sorkin. So, um, and I think it was an interview or the commentary with Aaron Sorkin. He's like, dude, Steve Jobs didn't run into the same five people at every launch. That's so unrealistic. But it helps narratively. And oh, yeah. um, it helps you understand their relationships in real life to each other. Mm. And so, I think it was Steve Wozniak or Andy Hertzfeld uh, said to them, "It's like none of it, none of it happened, but it's all true." So I would, I would probably believe it was Wozniak. Wozniak's like, none of it happened, but it's all true because that's that's how we were together. That's how they acted. That's how you know. I would believe it was Woz. Right. So um, it it does. It, it does the impossible, which is it tells a completely fictionalized story, but it gets the important stuff right, which is the the characters' relationships for within each other. Right. Right? Yeah, because, you know, it happens right before the release of the very first Macintosh, right. which um, is what got Steve ousted from Apple in the first place. Well, it wasn't very good. And, you know, the, the Apple II was still selling... Better than the Macintosh, right? Because uh, it was closed end to end. The, yeah. Uh, the uh, sorry, this movie taught me a lot of jargon. Which like closed end to end is another one which you can't. It's not compatible with anything else. Yeah. Right. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, the next computer, which was the the thing that Steve was trying to show Apple, like, oh, I don't need you anymore. Right. Um, and then the iMac, which catapulted Apple uh, yeah. into the stratosphere. Oh, yeah. Um, I remember, the, do you remember the scene in Legally Blonde where <laughs> she, <laughs> welcome back to the Legally Blonde pie. So when, <laughs> when she goes to that uh, that party, she thought it was a costume party, she dressed up as a bunny, right? Um, Reese Witherspoon, she's amazing. And she, she gets really upset and then she starts, you know, really trying her hardest at school. She goes and buys a Mac. Uh-huh. Um, and it was a huge box, but it was a an iMac. Yeah, and yeah. I, yeah. I just remember it was so colorful, and so yeah. Everyone should remember because that was the iMac that revitalized the the iMac series, and everyone should know this one. It's the it's the 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 dome shaped ones that, that were in different colors, different colors. Yeah, you know they were always clear, but with another color. You right. know, an accent green. color like green, blue, orange, red. Um, she gets a pink one, doesn't she? I feel like she gets a pink one. to, right? Yeah. I, I'm not remembering it that it was pink, but it would make sense to me that it was pink, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, and like, you know, I, you know, I love Steve Jobs. Um, if anyone's listening who happens to uh, work with me and I, uh, you know, have Samsung. Um, yeah, exactly. But no, I love, I love Apple. Like, the company itself, you know, did some, did the impossible, I think they're not making a lot of good choices now, but we'll get to that later. We'll we'll save a... We probably won't. Yeah, we probably never will. (laughs) Anyway. um, If I have anything to say, I'm not going to talk about it. But but I love Steve Jobs because he... The person, not the movie. Well, both. Well, yeah. Yeah, I love the movie. But but the person, this person of Steve Jobs, he was a man of great will 
like just sheer willpower. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he pretty much funded Pixar. Yeah. Like his check pretty much got Pixar out of bankruptcy mm-hmm. and, you know, now Disney owns Pixar. And now I have Wally, which yeah. is uh, probably my favorite Pixar movie. <laughs> Are you serious? I love Wally. Oh, God. It's well, so good. We'll have to do a whole episode on Pixar because. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Um, but. You know, the thing, you know, so I saw Steve Jobs, and I do want to talk about the other Steve Jobs movie. I know you don't like it. But. I've never seen it because I refuse to watch it because <laughs> there's no way it's going to be better than this one. Okay. But anyway, um, so it, uh, but I did know about the whole thing with his daughter that um, she was biologically his daughter, mm-hmm. but because him and it was his longtime girlfriend, wasn't it? Because they guess. weren't married. I don't believe they were married. No. Um, they were separated Chris at one Ann. point. Yeah, they were separated at one point, and he refused to believe that that was his daughter. Yeah. Even though, like, all the evidence pointed that that is your daughter. Yeah. And that's something I felt like the Steve Jobs movie really encapsulated that he truly believed that's not my daughter. Yeah. And even Kate Winslet, who's his. Uh, um, she's like his uh, secretary or assistant oh. or something. Um, she's now she's a lot higher up than that. She's I mean she's a executive or something at Apple or something like she's she's uh, high up there. Yeah, she she's like an engineer. Or something. She's she is one. Of, she's the the marketing executive. Oh, okay, there you go. Uh, she's one of the original members of the Apple Macintosh. I looked it up. Okay, cool. I was curious. Um, but anyway, but yeah, but even she's like, how can you not say that's not your daughter? Right. Yeah. You know. And it's not until the very end of the movie where, I mean, the, the, the this movie plays it as, like, he's just now accepting her as his daughter. But, right. But in real life, really, yeah, much later in her life, he was starting to accept her as, yeah. you're my daughter. You know? it, it really showed what an asshole he can be. Yes. You know, like, when he's, when he's threatening... Um, Jeff Daniels? No, I was going to say Andy Hertzfeld when he was, you know, uh, saying, if that thing doesn't say hello, I'm going to tell, I'm going to go by, you know, every piece of the smack and say what everyone did. And then I'm going to go to the voice demo. And then I'm going to say that was done by Andy Hertzfeld. It didn't work today, you know, and just plummet his career. And he's poking him in the chest. And, you know, and he's, and, you know, that's, I believe that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't believe that encounter happened. I believe that he was capable of doing something like that. Oh, yeah. Like, um, yeah, and a lot of things I had done about Steve Jobs, like, you know, how I mentioned with Pixar, he, you know, sat in on a lot of the meetings of Pixar. And I watched a documentary where they explained how they had a whiteboard in their offices where they would write ideas on there. And one day Steve was like, no one can write on this whiteboard. It's my whiteboard. I'm the only one who gets to write on it. And there had been like a lot of tension in the office kind of leading up to that. And that was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. And one of the original team members of Pixar finally had enough. Mm-hmm. And he got up and he grabbed a marker and he yeah. <laughs> just started writing all over. No one can see what I'm doing, but he's writing all over the uh, whiteboard. And Steve got in his face and yeah. they he said like, yeah, we had a screaming match. And he's like, and he's like, and it was intense. And you would never, he's like, you know, all the pictures you see of Steve Jobs, you would never think that that man could get that angry. Yeah. And uh, I would believe it. Oh, yeah. I, I heard a story, and we'll get off of Steve Jobs in a second, but I heard a story where if you were caught in the elevator with him, 
Uh-huh. He would ask you a question, and if you got it wrong, he could fire you on the spot. Holy shit. Yeah. So everyone took the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I, didn't, I don't blame him. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll get off Steve Jobs. I'll, I'll just I'll briefly touch on the, the other Steve Jobs movie, sure, Jobs, go for it. I didn't with, say it. with Ashton Kutcher. I do agree. It's not better than Steve Jobs. Um, but it it tells more of a chronological story of Steve's career right. and how he, you know, he dropped out of uh, college and, you know, his relationship with Waz, which in, uh, in, in Jobs, it's played by Josh Gad rather than oh, Seth Rogen. Gotcha. Um, who I think both of them played Waz perfectly. Um but in Jobs, it was more his chronological rise, fall, and then rise again. I see. Um, and it, it, it does a good job of telling that story. Like I said, I wouldn't say it's better than Steve Jobs. I would say that's why I like Steve Jobs. I would like Steve Jobs more because If we saw I, his... Well, no. I, I'm saying I like it because it doesn't. Oh, right? that we don't see his rise and fall no, and rise No, it's again. not your typical biopic. It is this launch, this launch, this launch. Fun fact, it is 16 millimeter, 35 millimeter digital is how they did it. So, really? Yeah. So well, that's cool. The, in the first launch, it's shot in 16 millimeter. And then... The, to, to adjust for the period. Uh, uh, oh, that's cool. And the rise in technology. That's awesome. So, yeah, and Danny Boyle, he's great. Now I'm a um, big fan. So. One of the other one of the other movies I wanted to touch on um, that is it, it, it's kind of current, kind of like the Steve Jobs uh, movie, um, The Social Network. Okay, another um, Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, um, I love Aaron Sorkin so much. If everyone should know what this movie is because it it caused so much of a stir, and it's such a good movie too. It's such. Well, it's David Fincher, man. Oh, yeah. And um, Nine Inch Nails, True Razor, did the music. I mean, it's yeah. you know, how can you go wrong? Um, so it's all about Facebook and about how Mark Zuckerberg launched Facebook. But it takes – and I, I would say it also kind of breaks the mold of biopics because it takes place during three of his lawsuits. Yeah. Or no. Two. Two of his lawsuits. Um, when the Winklevoss twins sued him mm-hmm. uh, for stealing the idea. And then, and then when uh, Eduardo sued him because yeah. they... Um, they cut his they, shares. They, they cut his shares by... Oh, like 300%. Like they, they cut his shares down to nothing. Yeah. And Which, in, in reality, he's still making millions of dollars. But it's, I mean... <sighs> okay, so <laughs> he, he's still making, but I mean, it's not billions, which is what, which is what Mark and um, whoever Justin Sean. Timberlake was playing. Yeah, Sean. Yeah, Sean. Is this Sean Parker? But that's not his real name either. Are you I don't sure? think the guy who did Napster. I don't Are think that's his real. Yeah. I feel it's like Sean something, but it's not Parker. I don't think. Um, hey, then uh, I feel like it. No, yeah, no, it's it's Sean Parker. Is it Sean Parker? Sean Parker. Right, I don't know what I was doing then. <laughs> uh, I don't know what I was looking up then. But what, anyway, what you were smoking? Yeah, uh, um, Sean Parker. Yeah, yeah. So if anyone doesn't know, it's it's based on a book, and the book, and the and I think the book is also told this way. I know it's the accidental, the accidental billionaires is what it's called. Uh, yes, uh, accidental billionaires: the founding of Facebook, a tale of sex, money, genius, and betrayal. Do you remember? 
what you thought when someone said, hey, man, they're making a Facebook, or when you saw like they were making a Facebook movie. I was like, a Facebook movie? I remember I was, I was like, well, that's stupid. Well, let's see. So let's see. So the movie came out in 2010. Yeah. We were in high school. Um, high school. Facebook, fa- Facebook, it was big. We were almost out of high school, by the way. I, I, sorry, we're young, but we were almost out, if that makes yeah, any difference. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a year before we were out. Um, but, you know, Facebook was big when we were in high school, but not like it is now. I had barely gotten one at that point. I, I don't think I it. used it properly. I had barely had it. I think I mainly used it like how I used MySpace to talk to girls. I didn't have MySpace. Uh, um, you're not missing anything. Why haven't we gotten a MySpace movie? <laughs> I mean, because unless Aaron Sorkin's going to write it, which he's not going to, I don't. I want. I don't want to see it. Um, but no. So you know. So this is during a time when Facebook, for us in real time, was big, but. Yeah, I would say not big enough to warrant itself a movie. I didn't think. Um, For sure. I was just like, oh, that's weird. But um, I thought it was a great cast. Oh, um, yeah. Jesse Eisenberg, which I, you know, they made jokes about that on uh, Saturday Night Live that (laughs) they they got Justin Timberlake to play Sean Parker, but Jesse Eisenberg to play Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. Uh, But I think think Jesse sort of looks like a young – Mark Zuckerberg, just a little bit. It's you know, for me, I bet it was he can he can deliver the dialogue because it needs to be fast and it needs to be all at once, right? Mm-hmm. So the yep. way Aaron Sorkin writes, I mean, you're memorizing a page of dialogue. Right. You know, and you need to deliver it really quickly. Mm. You know, and and also to prove that Mark Zuckerberg is a uh, lizard person. And being able to, you know, tennis match back and forth each other, you know, lobbing lines back and forth really fast. I mm-hmm. mean, that's... All right. Do yourself a favor. Really <laughs> analyze an episode of The West Wing in okay. the first four seasons. You won't believe the amount... I mean, the amount of work it takes to deliver dialogue that fast. And... um in being able to hit your mark and keep walking and we're not cutting away. We're going back and forth. We're lob. I mean, it's insane. So I'm a huge Aaron Sorkin fan. I've seen everything he's ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, in the last oh, newsroom, may it rest in peace, which is one of the greatest shows of all time. Um, same style. But I think for me, besides David Fincher, if anyone else had written it, I don't think it'd be as good. I, I really don't think so either. Like, you know, the, the tone of the movie, it definitely is shown from the writing, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Yeah. You know, and especially how the how the movie is told. That it's told between these two trials, but then we have the, the chronological story running parallel with these two trials right. that they're going back and you know touching on. It's not quite as crazy, but it's kind of like Memento. <laughs> so you yeah. have these these three different timelines telling three different narratives mm-hmm. and then we have to piece them together sort of. Mm-hmm. It's obviously it's more contemporary than that. They do a really good job in telling us the chronological story of how it happened, but still. Oh yeah. Uh, um but I, I I love it, you know. I I, I don't know what was true, mm-hmm. and and then I'm gonna. This is what's gonna help us segue into the next thing I really want to talk about, okay. and what was um, you know added or changed yeah. for the movie. Um, but I still love it. I felt like it really told the story properly of mm-hmm. these two kids, pretty much who you know were, weren't that much older than us now. Um, 
making billions of dollars and not really knowing what to do, where to go, what to say. Yeah, they're really not that much older than us. I don't know how old Mark is. He's I think, in his 30s. I think, right? Yeah, I will say he's in his 30s. Yeah, yikes. But, um, <laughs> you know... But they went to Harvard. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, and it's, and it's so crazy that, you know, they how, how much betrayal yeah. went on, which... I feel wasn't changed. I feel like there was that no, much betrayal yeah, I bet. Yeah. going on, you know, that, you know, Mark and Eduardo were best friends. And then when Sean Parker, who made Napster, who, who, who the fuck partners with the dude who made Napster? <laughs> I mean, I think we say that now because Napster is completely obsolete and no one even knows what Napster is now. Right. But... At the time, Napster was a big deal. Yeah. And he was being sued oh. by every musical artist, you uh, know. Like when he tells uh, Dakota Johnson who's in it. That, yeah. Like, oh, you sound like the guy who made Napster. Yeah, because I'm the guy who made Napster. Right, I'm the guy who made Napster. As he's nailing college girls. In Stanford, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. You want to talk about stuff that's been added. Yes, I do. Let's, want... let's start small. Okay. Um, 127 hours. Okay. I've never seen that, but I know I know what it's about. All right. Great. So, in real life, he didn't have a camcorder with him. Right. Right? It's sort of like, um, it's sort of why we have Wilson in Castaway. <laughs> for a way for him to talk. He needed to, to talk to someone, right? Right. Another way he could have done it, which I've seen before, and um, you've seen it in, like, Limitless, the TV show, or even the movie, mm-hmm. um, where another you is talking to you. Right. Oh, and right. It's it's an inner conversation you're having with yourself, but being presented as you talking to yourself, literally. Right. They could have also done it that way. It wouldn't have bothered me either way. Okay. Um, that would have been a little more. I would. It's not hokey because it's not. It just it wouldn't have fit the tone of the movie. So mm-hmm. it's really grounded in reality. Yeah, because he, because that actual hiker really did get caught yeah and for that long didn't have a phone or anything like that and didn't tell anyone where he was going and eventually had to cut his arm off he actually cut it off like like a little like halfway through his I think bicep I do think he has I'm trying to remember if he has his elbow or not I'm not sure if he has his elbow but um, that scene in particular is insane you oh <laughs> god uh, him him cutting tendons and you know it's Nuts. And also a Danny Boyle uh, movie. Oh, okay. Um, but so, yeah. So to to be able to pre- present information to mm-hmm. the audience, sometimes you need to add stuff. Right. right. Like the camera. Like he didn't have a camera with him. But for mm-hmm. the movie, he needed one so we could talk to it. Right. Right. And, and then other times they go balls to the wall and take a lot of liberties. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to loop back to Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, okay. Because I touched on a little bit of it, but, you know, a lot of the liberties they took were, you know, uh, I believe in Freddy's Life, they took a lot of liberties. You know, the actual music, like I mentioned with We Will Rock You, was not written in the 80s. They had already released News to the World by that point. Yeah. Um... <sighs> I'll give you um, in Chaplin. Um, okay. Oh, yeah. I can't believe I forgot about Chaplin. Yeah. Uh, Chaplin came out the day I was born in the States. It yeah. came out January 8th, 1993. <laughs> um, 
the the character and they tell you at the end of the movie. So what they do is it's one of those classic text endings, mm-hmm. right? Where the movie ends, but you want to know what happened afterward, right? And so right. they tell you via text, right? So you'll have to read some stuff and whatever. Mm-hmm. So what they do is they go character by character, and when it gets to Anthony Hopkins. It says his character was made up for the movie. Uh, right. He didn't really have someone helping him write his autobiography. This is just, you know, helps the story move along and mm. helps get out information. Literally, that's what it says. Right. So um, it's little things like that, right? And in this instance, they, they just tell you. They tell you, hey, this guy doesn't exist. Yeah, because most, most biopics tend to not tell you right. what they added because and that's something that like you know again going back to Bohemian Rhapsody because I did a lot of research on that what, what was true what wasn't um, and there was a lot that um, that kind of we hadn't talked about tropes yet but like a lot of the music biopic tropes that they fell into like the band breaks up yeah. um, which Queen apparently never broke up they might have gone on a hiatus and didn't make any music together but they never technically broke up right um, the the part where Freddie is diagnosed with AIDS mm-hmm. um Apparently, he was not diagnosed right before they performed Live Aid. Yeah. I think he was diagnosed like a couple of years after. Oh, after Live Aid. Um, and something something else that they changed is none of the band members knew he had AIDS until like I think a few weeks before he died. Uh, he this is when he sat them down. And I think they were the only ones he told. No one. He didn't tell anyone else. Like, yeah. No one knew he was sick until... He died. He died. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, that's when, okay, when you decide on the the chronological story of the movie you want to make, mm-hmm. we want to build to Live Aid. Right. You have to stuff everything in between. Yeah, you, the right? band breaks up. Right. He, he's got AIDS. The, you know, you, they kind of, you know, put themselves in a corner by building up to Live Aid, but we still need to get all the stuff mm-hmm. out of the way, which I, I disagree. I think you could have told them in text. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. You can yeah. still build to Live Aid and have that be the finale and still say, you know, a few years after that, diagnosed with AIDS, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, last song they recorded was The Show Must Go On, blah, 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 whatever. Right. Um, I, 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 they should have known better. <laughs> It's my. They, they, they really should, but you know, with the kind of what we we're talking about off mic with the production of oh, right. of the, you know, uh, if anyone doesn't know, where I'm just going to scathe over it pretty quickly. You um, read the director Brian Singer, who did some of the X Men movies, uh, disappeared for three days. No one knew where he went. Probably banging underage dudes. <laughs> That's what he likes. Oh my god! <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm not sorry because that's anyway. <laughs> and he uh, was being very erratic and being very, from what I understand, he was also being very hostile towards the cast. Yeah. So finally, Fox is like, okay, you're out. And with like three weeks left of production, they brought in Dexter Fletcher, again, who did Rocket Man, Eddie the Eagle, to finish the movie and do reshoots. And I think even edit the movie. Like he oversaw the edit. Okay, yeah. Um, but. You know, since Brian Singer technically did the portion of the movie, he still got the credit. It's, it's why Victor Fleming is 
is the director of The Wizard of Oz because he did most of it. You yeah. know what I mean? It's the same thing. Yeah. So so I think that's why a lot of, the, you know, they should have known better. Yeah. It's because, you know, even like the editor of the movie who won an Oscar for Bohemian Rhapsody said like, yeah, that wasn't my best work. And he even said like I was rushed. And, you know, to give him credit, like... I thought the movie, I know you have your things about it, but I thought the movie was great. I thought it was edited perfectly. You yeah. know, they do do a lot of time hops, but yeah, it's not a big I deal. thought it, I thought the movie was edited fine. Can I tell you what I was the most mad in that movie? Go for it. It's, oh, this made me so angry because this is not the type <laughs> of movie for this is the, and I'm sure you, you may have loved this, but it was the Mike Myers line. No one is going <laughs> to, and I know what you know what I'm talking about. No one is going to be in their car and bang their heads to this. And it's like, get over yourself. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We get it. You were in Wayne's world. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, this is not that type of movie. Well, you know, that's why you agreed to do it, right? <sighs> when, when they told him that you were going to say this, he's like, oh yeah, I'm in. Like, I'm, like, I'm totally in. So disappointed. <laughs> Well, and sidebar, that kind of goes back to the point we're making. Uh, Ray Foster is not a real person. He's an amalgam of some EMI mm -hmm. producers, yeah. but he was created for the movie. In, in Chaplin, they did that again with um, James Woods, and his character as this lawyer, um, he is a combination of a lot of lawyers. I'm sorry, I forgot James Woods. That's right, during the trial of, 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 of when... Uh, custody. Shit, what's her fucking name? She was in, speaking of Mike Myers, she was in So I Married an Axe Murderer. Yeah. Nancy? I want to say her first name's Nancy. I don't know. Fuck. Yeah, you'll be all right. But anyway. But anyway, yeah. So, you know, so yeah, they have to, um, you know, take these liberties to uh, further uh, the story. Nancy Travis. I knew it was gonna, nicely done. I knew it was going to eventually. I, and I do. Okay. I do want to say I get wanting to build to live aid. I completely understand that. Right. I, I get the, the urge and the, that feeling you get when you get a great idea when it's like, let's build to live aid. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's like, Ooh, I get it completely. Just you, you didn't have to shoehorn everything. Yeah. Right before live aid. You know what I mean? Right. Um, anyway, that Mike Myers line is so stupid. <laughs> I hate it so much. Anyway, um, and it's it's something my dad and he really likes stuff like that, like little wink. Like, oh, yeah. you know? like a lot of <laughs> a lot of sitcoms do that. Yeah, I think uh, I hate this show, but my dad loves it. Shout out to my dad. He loves stuff like this. So let's do it. Let's let's talk about. It. Let's talk about how much I hate this stuff. All right. So there's this there's a show. What's called Last Man Standing. And oh, you it, and it has Nancy whatever. Nancy Travis. Yes. And Jonathan Taylor Thomas was on an episode of Last Man Standing. And Jonathan Taylor Thomas's character in the show is he is he his character from Home Improvement? No. No. Oh, okay. That would be impossible. So <laughs> he. So. He had said something about a car or something, right? Uh -huh. Or wanting to soup something up. And then <laughs> Tim Allen goes, that kid was raised right. And it was so dumb, right? Because <laughs> I get it. They were both on home improvement together, right? It doesn't matter. And it's dumb. Well, it, it, you know, kind of talking about like. Sorry, the little, I'm the, very angry. Kind of about the little <laughs> wink, wink. Um, 
Did you, I'm sure you hadn't, but did you ever see the movie with uh, Jamie Kennedy kicking it old school? I have not. Okay. I have only seen Malibu's Most Wanted with Jamie Kennedy. I haven't seen anything else. Okay, so, 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 so just a brief, quick synopsis, because we're not talking about these kind of movies, but no. kicking it old school is about this... Kid who knows how to break dance in the 80s. Oh, no, I get what the movie is. Oh, well, then he goes into a coma. Yeah. And then he wakes up and he's a grown-ass man. Well, one of the wink-winks in it is they have, um, shit, what's his name? Uh, Cameron Fry from uh, Ferris Bueller. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, what's his fucking name? Um, I wish you wouldn't have asked me because I knew his name before you asked me. Uh, well, it's okay. Uh, Alan Ruck. Alan Ruck. Uh, so Alan Ruck shows up in it, and yeah. he plays. Uh, I am gonna pull this up because I, I I want. Okay, he plays. He's in one scene in Kicking It Old School. He plays Doctor Fry. <laughs> and now, okay, now you see. Okay. <laughs> Now, that doesn't bother me so much because that's a stupid movie. Wait, but there's more. Oh, boy. There's more than just that he's playing Dr. Fry. Okay. He's talking to Jamie Kennedy's parents about how, like, their medical bills have been racking up and how, um, at this point, they're almost impossible to pay off. And and I remember this line because it's fucking hilarious. He puts his head in his hands. He's like, I mean, shit, I'm still paying off that Camaro. Or no, that Ferrari. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Okay, but see, that wouldn't bother me as much. Kind of like, I mean, I did go off on a rant on it, but even the sitcom thing doesn't bother me as much. It doesn't belong in a biopic. <laughs> yeah, but no! Especially in a biopic that is supposed to happen uh, 20 years before. It crosses the line. And that is an actual term in the industry when you take someone's attention to something else. And it's crossing the line. You are now getting them to think about Wayne's World. World and not about the movie. So I am <laughs> so angry. <laughs> um, but that's okay. I never have to see the movie again. So we'll <laughs> um, well, I'm trying to think of some of the other biopics I've seen where they've really taken a lot of liberties with the, the story. Um, um, I don't know if I have any of those written down because usually if it's a biopic... Oh, actually, I do have one written down that's kind of... is Domino. Okay. Um, it is a, a a Tony Scott film, may he rest in peace. Uh, it stars uh, Kira Knightley. Oh, nice. And Mickey Rourke. <laughs> oh, God. And it, it, I love it, Mickey Rourke. And it's, <laughs> and it's about this girl... Who and it, this is in my little area of female-driven biopics, which uh-huh. um, we need to touch on later. But um, and it, it's been so long since I've seen the movie, but I know that a lot of it's not true. Okay, you know, I know a lot of it has been way crazy embellished, and a lot of it has to do with Tony Scott's style. Mm-hmm. So Tony Scott is a very specific style, and it never really changed. So it's like Made on Fire. It's like. <laughs> Um, it's like Unstoppable. It's like Deja Vu. It's like, you know, it's that style of movie, right? Okay. Um, and so it's very stylized, very action-packed, very, you know, I think she becomes a bounty hunter. I think that's what the movie is. <laughs> um, she gets up with a, a league of bounty hunters, and they go and bounty hunt or whatever. Um, it's a great movie. It's a lot of fun to watch, but... Um, it's very silly, and a lot of it's not true. So I would say taking a lot of liberties, domino. Okay. So um, 
So you mentioned some of the other, like, in your little sect of yes. films. Yes. So, so what about those? Do you really want people to... Uh... Um, I... A lot of what I have written down over here is men. Okay. <laughs> Biopics about men, right? Gotcha. Um, I would put Zero Dark Thirty over here with the women, though. Um, Zero Dark... 30. Sorry, I had to write it down for no reason. Who else is going to see these notes besides me? <laughs> anyway, um, so like Monster, which uh, that's got uh, Charlie Theron yeah, got her Oscar. Christina Ritchie, right? Yes, that movie's awesome. And isn't that the movie that? Uh, no, that was Thelma and Louise. Never mind. I was right. thinking about Brad Pitt. No, that was Thelma and Louise. Yeah. So Monster is about Eileen Morris, yeah. right? Um, and the. I mean, the performance is incredible. I don't know how much weight she gained, but it was a lot. And yeah, pretty, yeah, I think she gained weight. Doesn't even look like her, right? I mean, it, she looks bad. <laughs> she looks like Eileen Warnos, and Eileen Warnos looks bad. So um, that's okay. She she'd be fine with me saying that. Um, so monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, Serial killer, by the way. So yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Just killed a whole bunch of dudes. Yeah, she was a prostitute too, wasn't she? She was, and then she used the prostitute thing to kill men. Okay. So um, I haven't seen it yet, but I did put on the basis of sex, which is about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah, which uh, got Felicity Jones in it. I do love me some Felicity Jones and Army Hammer as well. Is oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, she, he's her husband. Yeah. Um, I have Lovelace uh, written down, uh, which uh, is Amanda Seyfried. She plays... Uh, um, she's a stripper, isn't she? Porn star. That's right. Uh, Linda Lovelace, she was in Deep Throat. Uh, Deep Throat is a giant film in movie history, okay? Okay. This, got, this put um, adult films on the map. This, I mean, people... Really famous people went to the premiere of Deep Throat. Um, we're talking. Sorry, you, you are such a child. I can't is, help it. That is the name of the movie, right? Uh, <laughs> so, um, I mean, we had like Jack Nicholson going Jesus. to the premiere. We, had, I mean, and they were like in tuxedos and they were going to see this dirty movie, right? Okay. Uh, but anyway, this is about uh, Linda's rise and fall. Right? Okay. Was um, she? Because I feel like I read the synopsis about it. She was murdered, wasn't she? No. No? Oh, I guess I read it wrong then. You did. I don't know. Maybe she was murdered. I have no idea. I don't think so. Um, I have Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. I've heard that's great. It is great. Tina Fey. It's a... It's a... Uh, dark comedy, right? Yeah, because, you know, it's a it's a war mm-hmm. movie as well. She's... Um, Isn't Martin Short? No, not Martin Short. Uh, Martin Freeman. Yes, Martin Freeman is in it. Uh, Love they, that guy. They're press... Uh, going in uh, to Afghanistan, mm-hmm. and um, and this is just the story of this woman who you know just decided you know I'll take this assignment. I'm so sick of doing what I'm doing over here. Let's do a change of pace, and she just grows as a person and as a journalist, and it's great. Um, I Tanya, uh, yeah, yeah, we were talking about that off mic. We were. Uh, I Tanya is fantastic about uh, Tanya Harding. So okay. I want to get your opinion on that because, you know, I know a lot about the case involving yep. Tanya Harding. It's insane. Um, does the movie try to put, paint her as a victim or as the uh, um, perpetrator? I would say somewhere in the middle, right? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously she has her flaws. 
Right. <laughs> right. She is just backwoods hillbilly trash. <laughs> <laughs> and she acts like it. You know what I mean? Sorry, Tanya Harding. No, I'm not sorry. No, it's <laughs> well, true. And, you know it. And, and uh, well, I mean, she's listening. You know, with Joel Schumacher with Joel too. Schumacher, yeah. yeah, they're in the same. They're they're probably in the same room. Um, <laughs> but no one can deny she was one of the most talented figure skaters. She was the only one to do a triple axel at that time. Yeah. Um, did uh, I heard that Margot Robbie did a lot? I I know she didn't do that, but no, I heard, uh, she but did, she did do a lot. She though. did some of the ice skating. Yeah, you could tell they did some face mapping right mm-hmm. on the stunt double. They putting Margot Robbie's face on nice. this woman's body, um, and it's pretty convincing. So, so I, I do recommend Itania for sure. I didn't get it. It's over there. Uh, so, but so would you say that they kind of did it like they did? I don't know if you saw American Crime Story: The People versus OJ. I love American Crime Story: The People versus OJ. Okay. <laughs> I said, are you so, out of your mind? So I read that you know for that they filmed it. They filmed a lot of the a lot of Cuba scenes twice. They filmed it as directly saying that he's guilty or portraying that he is guilty. Mm. And then filming it as he's innocent, and then spliced a lot of it together. So, because you don't know what the show is doing, like if they're placating that he is innocent or he is guilty. That's a that's a uh, interesting would, thing you bring would, up. Would you say they kind of did that with Itanya? No, no, uh, no. However, and the technique you're talking about, they did in American Psycho. Uh, anytime Willem Dafoe is um, interrogating. Patrick Bateman, uh-huh. they would do three of them. They okay. would do, I know you did it. They would do, I'm not sure you did it. And I, there's no way you did it. Okay. And then they would intercut, In- intercut them. Intercut them. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, I love American Psycho. Anyway. Um, so, no, not really. Uh, okay. Not for Tanya. They, um, at least I don't think so. Uh, but Sebastian Stan's really good in it. Um, yeah. He's got a really goofy mustache in that movie. He, and he's her husband, isn't he? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and But, I mean, who stole the show was Alice and Janney as her mom is... Oh, well, get Alice and Janney is phenomenal. Oh, she's the best, right? And she's got some of the best lines. I, want, I don't want to ruin for you here. You got to see the movie because okay. they're just... They're, <laughs> they're gold, man. She's great. And the last I got is Molly's Game. Yeah, we, and we were we were talking about that one. Now that one is very interesting. I haven't seen it. Oh, it's great, and it's Aaron Sorkin. But I did a lot of research on it because I had I heard a lot of people talking about it, and that's Jessica Chastain, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because um, you know I love Tobey Maguire. I uh, you know I grew up with Spider Man, but I, I do think in his own right now, now that he's older, I feel like he has become more. I wouldn't say seasoned actor, but he's found his his milieu of an actor. Uh, I especially loved him in The Great Gatsby. I think he was great in The Great Gatsby. Of course. I didn't see that. You didn't see that? Oh, my God. No, nah, I don't want to. Watch it. No, it's great. I don't want to. Anyway, um, but, you know, a lot of people were telling me that he really treated, because uh, her, her name is Molly. Molly Bloom. Yeah. Like, a lot of people were telling me that he was the main person who treated her, like, less than... Garbage. Like someone told me that he, like, made her walk around on all fours. And if anyone doesn't know what this movie's about, it's about illegal poker games. Yeah, it's. Um, she was an Olympic skier, mm-hmm. uh, and like an eagle. Uh, yeah, oh, nice. Yeah, and she um, wiped out one day. And it's so funny the way they the way they do this because they were. 
it opens with her saying, you know, a lot of athletes were asked, what is the worst thing that ever happened to you in sports? And they were like, uh, losing to losing to Brazil, uh, you know, losing game seven, whatever. Uh-huh. And... <laughs> She then she tells the story of how she wiped out and how she, you know, fractured her back during this thing. And she's like, the only reason I brought up that other stuff um, about people saying that losing the worst thing you could do is lose to Brazil. Seriously, fuck you. you know what I mean? <laughs> because she she cracked her back in like five plays, whatever. Oh, yeah. Um, anyway, she takes some time off. She wanted to go to law school, but she takes some time off and she starts working for this guy. And um, this guy runs this poker game and she ends up helping him run the poker game Mm -hmm. and she gets really good at it. And she starts really getting into this, this poker Uh stuff. And then she starts doing her own games. Right. Uh And running, running her own poker nights and they get celebrities and CEOs and, you know, titans of industry in these places. And, you know, she starts taking a rake and blah, blah, blah. You can't do that. Whatever. And um, she gets ties into the Russian mob because they would show up every once in a while. Whatever. So the story is nuts, which, again, Mm -hmm. is part of the reason why we love these. Is because the story is insane, right? right? And of course, it's Aaron Sorkin, so I'm there. It's Idris Elba, so I'm there. You know, yeah. And isn't uh, and Michael Sarah's character Player X? And you were the reason why you brought up Tobey Maguire is it is said that Michael Sarah is playing Tobey Maguire, but it's, it's like he's playing Tobey Maguire and like a few other celebrities that would be there too, right? I'm not sure. Um, well, I'm about to find out. I didn't, um, read, I didn't read the book. It, it just says um, a composite of several Hollywood celebrity gamblers from Molly's ring. Yeah. So. Oh, well. Yeah. But anyway, um, I'm not sure about the stuff about the all. I doubt it, if I'm being honest with you, because mm-hmm. if you know anything about Molly Bloom, she wouldn't put up with that. So <laughs> I don't believe that to be true, but that's okay. So, um, but anyway... Molly's game, it's excellent. Okay. Super good. Love it. Um, okay. <laughs> Rain? Yes. What else? I don't know. I think we have uh, jammed enough biopic information down people's ears. I think we have. I think let's do some honorable mentions. Definitely. Um, and then we'll we'll wrap up with some, you know, conclusion. Yeah. Uh, maybe it'll be insightful. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, We're not there yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, honorable mentions. All right. Um, let's do Capote okay. uh, with Philip Seymour Hoffman. His performance is absolutely incredible. Catch Me If You Can. Okay. Um, Wild with uh, Reese Witherspoon. Okay. She plays Cheryl Strayed. The Elephant Man, John Hurt. A Beautiful Mind um, with uh, Russell Crowe. Um, I'm Not There, uh, which is a, a cavalcade of actors playing Bob Dylan in different points oh, of his career. Okay. Uh, Richard Gere. Um, I've heard of it. Isn't Tilda Swinton one of them too? I think. It is not Tilda Swinton. It's Kate Blanchett. That's right. Kate uh, Blanchett and um, Christian Bale and Heath Ledger. Um, anyway. The Aviator. Yeah. Uh, where Leonardo DiCaprio plays Howard Hughes. 
and it's also a Martin Scorsese, so now you have to go see it. Um, and I'll end with, because I my degree is in psychology and I love this stuff, I'll end with the Stanford Prison Experiment and Experimenter, which both came out at the same time. And maybe they're still on Netflix? I'm not sure. Anyway, Rain, take it away. Um, for me, uh, uh, some of my honorable mentions definitely would be uh, my friend Dahmer. Uh, I would definitely see that uh, if anyone it's on Netflix no it's not I don't remember where it's at or wow. where I, I think I want to say um, I don't remember you should watch it it's great um, I'm trying to think um, oh, man I can't the, I, the, it's, it's it's one of those like when you read a book and they're asked like, and then they ask you, like, oh, what was your favorite book? And you're like, uh, uh, um, I would definitely also say, um, man, I can't really say Hacksaw Ridge, even though I've never seen it. Um, well, then I wouldn't mention it. <laughs> no. Uh, that's pretty much all I have because okay. I can't, I can't think of any other ones I've seen that actually, um, like come across my mind but so i would say definitely watch um my friend Dahmer. um it, it's it's really good uh another disney star uh playing a serial killer uh i don't know his name who plays jeffrey Dahmer. um but he he does he he does a really good job of playing this like really creepy kid who mm-hmm. eventually becomes jeffrey Dahmer. Mm-hmm. um Ross Lynch, that's his name. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so that's all I have for my honorable okay, mentions. Great. Um, yeah, man, I love biopics. As you can tell, I have a whole list of them. Um, I, I mean, God, real people are so fascinating, and I think that's why we like these so much. And I think I th- so too. And I think we, me personally, I do enjoy when. Um, filmmakers take unique artistic license mm-hmm. and it's well executed like in Bronson right or you know The Doors or you know Rocket Man so I mean mm-hmm. these are you know great examples of that um, mm-hmm. but you know I mean I'm also kind of guy who loves the facts so yeah um, those who can bring me the facts and not embellish too much also, that is an achievement in and of itself, man. I'm a huge fan of this subgenre, and um, I'm really glad we got to talk about it today. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, uh, and I hope that everyone listening, uh, you don't think of us when we were talking about uh, when they embellish to turn you off from biopics, because sometimes it's necessary, but like Jeremy said, you know, the facts are the facts. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we hope everyone's listening um, or enjoyed listening. There's a cold and lonely 